Thank you, Brother Terry. Thank you, choir. Thank you, praise team. Thank all of you for taking part in worship this morning. I pray the Lord was uh, glorified, magnified through our worship. If you brought your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. First week, second week, third week uh, in December, I spoke from the Christmas passage, Luke chapter 2. But I want us to kindly stay among with the same theme, but I have a different scripture I want you to look at. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We looked at this recently, but I'd like for us to look at it again. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 15. God's word says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, for who I am chief, we dwelt on that word chief some time back. It doesn't mean what you may think it means, that he's the worst. But he was the first that experienced this great salvation that came to the Gentiles. Most of us, this morning I want to share a sermon I've entitled, The Ugliness of Christmas. The Ugliness of Christmas. Most of us, when we think of Christmas, we think of the beauty of Christmas. We think of bright lights and beautiful trees and candles and wreaths and cozy fireplaces. Everything is bright. Everything is cheery. Everything is happy. And that is one side of Christmas. But, now the word but, the conjunction there always means there's a flip side. So what's the flip side of a bright side of Christmas? There's another side. It's the very ugly side of Christmas. Now when we talk about the ugliness of Christmas, we probably first could talk about, discuss, how on an ugly, cold, dark night in Bethlehem, a woman, her husband, Joseph, Mary, in a stable, stall-like thing, gave birth to a baby, in the most unsanitary conditions. That's ugly. Or we could think about the ugliness of Christmas as we thought of a man by the name of Herod. Herod, who massacred babies during this time, trying to murder the one who was prophesied would come and be the king of kings. So we could talk about Herod and talk about the ugliness of Christmas. However, lurking behind all the beauty of Christmas, just remember this, is the most vile and hideous and reality of Christmas. The point is, to have a proper understanding of the beauty of Christmas, you have to have a proper understanding of the ugliness of Christmas. Matthew 1 verse 21 says, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people. See, we're still Jewish in Matthew. His people. He will save his people from their sin. 1 John 3, 5 says, You know that he was manifested to take away our sin. Manifested means to make large. In, in high school or in college, if you were in a lab, you had a microscope, and the microscope manifested things. And Christ was manifested. He was, he was made large. He was brought out. He was made large 
Why was that? To be the Savior for our sins. That's the whole purpose of Christmas. The dark and the ugly side of Christmas is sin. And never forget, the heart of Christmas is that Christ came into the world to save sinners. He was manifested. He was made large. He was made known to take away sin. So the point is, Christ came to deliver us from our sins. And if there were no sin in the world, there would be no Christmas. You can't divorce the two. You can't divorce Christmas from sin, sin from Christmas. They go together. We can't hide behind the beauty of Christmas. We can't hide behind the bright lights of Christmas and the beautiful Christmas trees and can't hide behind Santa Claus and our personal fellowship and homecomings that we have with each other. Sin must come to the front during Christmas. Now, why is that? The answer is because it's sin that causes chaos in the world. It's sin that causes heart disease. It's sin that causes war. It's sin that causes murder. Sin that causes accidents. Sin that causes cancer. Sin that causes old age. The point is all of us are dying and we're dying because of sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God... Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23 simply says, For the wages of sin is death. We're all dying because of sin. So the point is, sin is the ugliness of Christmas. You can't talk about the brightness and the beauty of Christmas until you talk or bring in to the conversation the ugliness of Christmas. Leonardo da Vinci painted The Last Supper. And he looked for someone to pose for the face of Jesus. He wanted to find someone that had a face that looked like it was full of life and full of love and full of grace. And so he found this beggar. His name was Petro Bandinelli. And years later, after he'd painted the portrait of Jesus, the face of Jesus, he searched for someone to pose for the face of Judas. Years later, he wanted a face that showed the degradation of, uh, of Judah. He wanted to show the anger on the face of Judah and the displeasement of Judah. He wanted to show the resentment of Judah. And so he looked hard to find the face that was so hardened by sin, it would be a perfect place, a perfect face of Judah. And so he found a beggar that looked vile and looked hideous. And he, was just sh he shuddered to look at this person, but he hired him, and he asked him his name. And he says, Petro Bendinelli, I said and posed for the face of Jesus. The point is, that's what sin will do. That's what sin has done to everyone. That's what sin has done to the human race. And it makes us susceptible to desires. And it makes us susceptible to disasters and illnesses and death and even hell. That's what sin does. And that's the reason for Christmas. Every broken marriage, every shattered friendship, every Every evil deed, every argument, every word, evil word, can be attributed to sin. 
And that's why Joshua 7 verse 13 calls it an accursed thing. So the point is sin had to be dealt with if God's going to bring man to himself. Therefore, Christ came into the world to save us from our sin, to save sinners. Now I have three questions real quick that I'm going to ask you about sin. First of all, what is sin? What is sin? Well, 1 John 3, verse 4 says this. Listen to this, 1 John 3, verse 4. Uh, 1 John, let's see. Turn over one. Whosoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. What is sin? Sin's a transgression of the law. Sin breaks God's law. Sin is living as if there's no God. Sin has no law, no authority. Sin has no standard. Sin denies the reality of God's law. Sin says that God is not in charge. Sin says that I can live beyond the boundaries of God. I am my own boss. I can do what I want to do. There's no boundaries and so the point is, if you're denying the reality of God's law in any area of your life, you're in sin. So sin is a transgression against God's law. Second question, what is sin like? In other words, what's the characteristic of sin? What's the properties of sin? What is the nature of sin? What's the characteristic of the characteristics of sin that cause Christ to have to come into this world and die on the cross. If you're taking notes, I've listed a few. First of all, a characteristic is that sin defiles. Sin is like rust is to a precious metal. Sin, sin is, is what a scar is on a beautiful face. Sin is, is what a stain is to a, a beautiful piece of cloth. Sin is what smog is to a beautiful, bright, shiny, sun-shining, blue, cloudless day. And all of a sudden, it turns dark. Sin, like smog on a beautiful day. So the question is this, do you want that in your life? Do you want that type of defilement in your life? The point is, Christ came to save us from that which defiles. That's what sin is. Secondly, sin is defiant. Defiant. It, it walks in opposition to God. Uh, it opposes God. Regardless if you put up a tree in your house, if you put up, if you decorate the yard and have all the inflatables, if you put up a manger scene, something as beautiful or more so than this or smaller than this, regardless of your tree, your nativity scene, regardless of the homage that you, that you pay to Christ, that you come and you sing and, and all of this, you came to church today and you made a I mean, it was difficult, no doubt, to get everybody ready to be here on Christmas Eve. Regardless of the homage that you pay to Christ, sin strikes a blow to his face. Sin drives a nail in it to his hands, to his feet. Sin 
crushes a crown of thorns upon his brow, sin jabs a spear into his side, and sin spits in his face. Sin is defiant. I'll do what I want to do. God, I don't care what, you, what your claims are. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not hurting anybody but myself. That's defiance. So this morning, let me ask you a question. Are you defiant? Are you in a direct opposition to God in your life? So what is sin? Sin defiles. Sin is defiant. But sin is also ingratitude. Jot down Acts chapter 17. Acts 17, and I believe it's verse um, uh, 20, 28. Acts 17, verse 28. Uh, Shane has it on the screen. For in him we live. Remember, sin is ingratitude. For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Point B, and we live, we move, we have our being. If you don't show gratitude for God, you know it's God that gives your next breath you're fixing to breathe. Are you thankful for that? Or have you even thought about that? You see, sin is, sin is defiant, but sin is ungrateful. I had a good friend, Brother Earl. You heard me talk about Brother Earl Snodgrass. Mark, his son's here today. He told me he was coming. I'm glad he got to come. And I never will forget Earl saying this. I think I've mentioned it tomorrow. We were talking over a cup of coffee one morning at Hull House. And Earl said, Brother Sammy, I was praying this morning while I was making up my bed. And he said, you know, I just stopped and I prayed. And I said, God, thank you that I'm able to make up my bed. Are you that thankful? Sin is ingratitude. Without thinking, we would, without even accepting the fact and expressing the gratitude, you wouldn't even be here today if it wasn't for God. He saw fit for you to be born. So without God, you wouldn't even be here. Whatever you have in material blessings is of God. He gives you the ability, the Bible says, to do work, make a living. So the point is, when, you're, when you continue in sin, you justify God's goodness. And you express ingratitude. So sin is ingratitude, but sin is incurable. Number four, Jeremiah 13, 22 says, Can the Ethiopian change its spots? Of course not. No. He says, can the Ethiopian change his skin, but can the leper, excuse me, change its spots? The Ethiopian can't change his skin. You can't change your skin. The, the leper can't change its spots. So the point is, you can't, what can you do that you can change? You, you really can't change anything that God has set in order. You cannot do good when you're bent to do evil. The Bible says that our, that our goodness... Our righteousness are as filthy rags. They're not good. You think you're good. There's not a good person in this room, preacher first included. None of our righteousness are even good. So Christmas is this. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, 
And the point is, there is no other way, there's no other cure for sin except Jesus. So the question in regards to sin, what is sin? What is sin like? And then third, and I'll close with this, is there any hope for the sinner? Do you have hope today? If you're here without Christ, do you have hope? You know, we sing, O little town of Bethlehem, and at the end of that first verse, there's this phrase, Our hopes and fears of all the years were met in thee tonight. The hopes that we have, the fears that overcome us, were met in him that night. Our hopes and fears were met in a little obscure town south of Jerusalem. I've been there. Matter of fact, I stood in First Baptist Church, Bethlehem, and read Luke chapter 2. It's an amazing experience. Because it was in Bethlehem that hope was born. Friend, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. There's no hope without Christ. There's no hope. Ephesians 2, verse 12 he show you how much hope we have. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, talks about our, our hope that, that we have now. Let me find that. I didn't mark it. I'm sorry. Ephesians 2, verse 12. You have that one, Shane? I don't think I gave it to you. Here it is. Ephesians 2, 12. That at the time, Paul speaking, before Christ came into the world, that at that time, without Christ, but at that time you were without Christ, Gentiles, all of us, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without died in the world. Before Christ as Gentiles, we had no hope. We were without God in the world. Without Christ today in your life, you have no hope. There's no hope without Christ. There's a difference now in thinking everything's going to be okay. We're not talking about hope for hope's sake. But knowing that everything is going to be all right. There's a difference in thinking everything's going to be all right and then knowing everything's going to be all right. And so today some of you feel that, that you're in a hopeless situation. You're hopeless. Your marriage is hopeless. Your finances are hopeless. Your children's hopeless. Your job's hopeless. Hopeless, hopeless, hopeless. Just feel hopeless. However, 2,023 years ago, hope was born in a little town called Bethlehem. So, friend, today, with Christ, you can know that everything's going to be all right. Why is that? Because we have, number one, we have, the, we have the hope. We have the word hope means assurance. The word hope means uh, assurance. It also means confidence. When it's used in the Bible, it's not hope about hope, but hope can be translated assurance. I have the assurance of my salvation. I have the confidence of my salvation. I have the hope of my salvation. John 10, verse 28, And I will give unto thee eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. That's assurance. That's confidence. That's hope that came from Bethlehem. We have hope 
because of the assurance of our salvation. We have hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. Prior to the crucifixion, it seemed like the devil had won the victory. If you remember, he, Christ was betrayed by Judas. He was handed over to Pilate. He was beaten. He was scourged. He was crucified. And then he was buried. It was over. But on the third day, Christ arose from the dead. And I know that that on one day that that same spirit that brought him forth from the grave is going to bring me forth from the grave and so I have hope I have assurance in my salvation I have hope I have assurance and confidence because of the resurrection and then also have hope of the rapture my hope's based on the rapture Acts chapter 1 8 through 11 speaks about one day Christ is coming back again and he's going to call his church forth and we're going to leave us so worried. And that's the next thing that's going to happen on God's calendar. I mean, it's not the end of the age that's coming next. It's not that the uh, tribulation is coming next. It's not the Antichrist is coming next. It, it's not the battle of Armageddon coming next. But we're leaving here. The next thing on God's calendar is the rapture, the snatching away of his church. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 Tells that whole story. So today, friend, without Christ, there's no hope. With Christ, without Christ, it's hopeless. If you're not a believer today, you are in a hopeless situation. With Christ today, there's endless hope. Big difference. Hope, confidence, assurance was a blessing from Bethlehem. And to have this proper understanding of the beauty of Christmas, you have to have the proper understanding of the ugliness of Christmas. Dark and ugly side of Jesus is sin. Christ came to deliver us from sin. So this morning, are you living in hope? Do you have hope? Do you have that assurance? Do you have confidence? Have you been saved? Have you given your life to the Lord Jesus? Or do you have that hope because of his resurrection, knowing because he's raised, you're going to be raised? Do you have that hope because of the rapture? One day, we may, this would be a good time for him to come today, right here during this church service. Wow, we're out of here. Wouldn't that be something? It could happen. Listen, if you don't have this hope, you need to come and experience Christmas today, what Christmas is all about. Receive him to be your Lord and Savior. John 1, verse 12, As many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Or call on him to save you. Lord Jesus, please forgive me. Come into my life and save me. He tells us in Romans 10, 13, Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, here's our situation. Some are here today, some are listening today, viewing today, that are hopeless. They live a life of hopelessness. They know that within their heart. There's others today that have a never-ending hope, assurance, based on our salvation, his resurrection, and soon coming again. Which category do you fit in? You see, Christmas is not about the bright lights. It is, to some degree, but there's a flip side. But it's all about Jesus and why he came. To save us from our sins. Can't have one without the other. So focus today. Which one you celebrating? 
You celebrating the bright lights and Christmas tree and all the excitement? Are you celebrating the fact that you have a Savior and you've experienced Him in your life? Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had to come and worship you today. And thank you for calling to our attention, Lord, the ugliness of, Christ, of Christmas. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us the hope in Bethlehem. And Father, I pray now for every person here, those who have never trusted Christ. They may have trusted in some type of religion or, or uh, some type of ceremony or uh, ordinance, but they've never invited you into their life to be their Lord and Savior. I pray they'll do that today. I pray they just pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm lost. I know that I don't have eternal life. And right now, if I die, I wouldn't go to heaven. But today, you've spoken to my heart. And I ask you, Lord, to please forgive me. Thank you for sending Jesus to be my Savior. And today, Lord, I give you my life. I give you my all. I ask you to forgive me. Come into my life and save me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may have prayed something like that. And I was asking Shanna, I said, when were you saved? Well, again, I want to thank you for viewing our worship service. If you'd like to know how you could come to know Christ, as your personal Lord and Savior, please feel free to contact our church at the address listed. We also encourage you to visit our website, 